the more important something is, the greater the need to make sure that everyone can understand it. And nothing could be more important than understanding who Jesus is and why he came. And so when it comes to uh, these seven I am sayings, Jesus uses words that anyone can grasp. Uh, So far we've seen Jesus compare himself to bread, to light, and today to a door. Think of all the doors that you've gone through already this morning. Uh, Various doors in your house, the doors of the church, Uh, Just like bread and light, uh, doors are just a normal part of our everyday life. When Jesus says, I am the door, uh, the boys and girls aren't wondering what, what a door is. We all know what a door is. Now, what it actually means for Jesus to be like a door needs a bit more explaining. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today with God's help. Uh, but if you're here today and you want to know more about Christianity, well, Jesus is putting it for you here in really simple terms. It's so important that, that he's not going to use words that are a barrier to your understanding. So he uses an image that all of us can immediately picture. But what type of door is Jesus talking about here? He says in verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, But what sort of doors do sheep go through? In our day, sheep go through gates. Uh, Was it the same in Jesus' day? Well, in Jesus' day, each village would have had a big sheepfold. Uh, During the day, the shepherds would have had their sheep grazing out elsewhere. But at night time, they would bring uh, their flock into the sheepfold to keep them safe from wolves uh, and other wild animals. And some of those sheepfolds, rather than having a gate to let the sheep in and out, just had a gap. And at night, the shepherd would lie there in the gap. And so he effectively became the door. Uh, He decided who or what was allowed in. Uh, Anyone wanting to to come into the sheepfold had to come in through him. And that may particularly be what Jesus is referring to when he says, I am the door. Uh, That is, if he's talking about a different type of sheepfold uh, than the one he talks about in verse 3, which is a physical door and a gatekeeper. But either way, the main point is clear. When Jesus says, I am the door, he's saying that he is the only way into the sheepfold. So what does this all mean for us? Because, of course, Jesus isn't talking about literal sheep here. He's talking about human beings. And it's vitally important that we understand what he's saying. And so we're going to look at this statement of Jesus under two headings today in the form of two questions. And our first question is, what is Jesus the door to? Jesus says, I am the door, but what is Jesus the door to? If Jesus is the door, that's a natural question. What is he the door to? And what will happen if we go through that door? Because most of the time doors are pretty mundane. We go through doors without noticing them. But going through a door can also change everything. 
Uh, the movie Sliding Doors features a woman whose life goes in two completely different directions based on whether she gets through the doors of a train before it slides shut. And in other stories, doors are often portals to new worlds. C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, features what has been called possibly the most famous door in 20th century children's literature. It's the door of a wardrobe which leads to another world. And in the final book of the Narnia series, there's, there's a door frame which people go through and disappear. It's a portal from their dying world to Aslan's country, uh, which is a picture of heaven. The point is that although doors in themselves can be pretty ordinary, we have a sense that they can also lead to something amazing. And it's the same with Jesus. We go through doors here and we're no different on the other side of the door than we were on this side of the door. But if we go through this door, this door that Jesus is talking about, we will experience total transformation. So what is on the other side of this door? Well, life abundant life uh, we see that in verse 10 in the second half of the verse i came that may they may have life and have it abundantly jesus is the door to life what lies on the other side of this door is a very different life than the one that was once ours a, a very different life from the life that some of you may still be living this morning. Yes, the, the other side of the door includes heaven when this new life will fully be realised. But this new life begins now. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes to a group of people and tells them, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But, he says, God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. You were dead, uh, and I was dead with you, but now we're alive, Paul says. Jesus is the door to life. Maybe you say, well, I'm alive right now, I'm, I'm living, I'm breathing. How could you say that, that I'm not alive? My, my, my non-Christian neighbours, maybe, they're, maybe they're, they're out on a, on a, a run or, or, a, or a bike ride this morning. Maybe they're working in their garden. How can you say they're not alive? But have you never heard anyone say, I'm waiting for my life to begin? Or, I feel that life has just passed me by. Because we do have this sense that it's possible to be physically alive and yet to be missing out on what makes life worth living. And if you've ever felt those things yourself, then you're in the right place today. I'm not big into Shakespeare, but I came across a quote from Macbeth this week, or the, the Scottish play as it's known. And after the death of his wife, Macbeth says this. He says, life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. He's saying that life is meaningless. It's, a, it's full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Nothing. 
And that is true for life outside Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a furious amount of, of work, activity and pleasure seeking uh, that goes on. But in the end, it's meaningless. But Jesus is the door to true, meaningful, deeply satisfying life. Because this is the life that we were created to live. But what if there's anyone here who would say, well, my life is actually perfectly fine without Jesus. Yes, there might be a few things that would make me more comfortable, but Jesus isn't one of them. All I need is more stuff. All I need is a bit more money, a a bit of a nicer house. Then I'll be fine. But for anyone who would say that, there's a warning here in verse 9 that you're in greater danger than you think you are. You have a greater need of Jesus than you think you do. In verse 9, Jesus again says, I am the door. And he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. On the other side of the door, outside the sheepfold, there is danger. And in fact, not just danger, but death. Jesus says, I came that they may have life. That implies that outside of him is death. Physical life for now, but spiritual death. And if we, go, if we don't go through this gate, eternal death. So if we want to be safe from danger, we must go through the gate. But what is the danger? Ah, the danger for, for sheep uh, outside the sheepfold was obviously wolves, wild animals, bears, the, the type of thing that, that David uh, talks about. But what do we need to be saved from? Well, ultimately, we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved not from something outside us, but from something within us. We need to be saved from the sin that we are born with and which will drag us down to hell unless it is dealt with. And amazingly, there is a way for that sin to be dealt with. And that way is different from what the world thinks it is. And it's also different from what many church-going people think it is. People make two wrong assumptions about sin. They assume, uh, firstly, that sin is primarily what we do uh, rather than about our hearts. And then secondly, having assumed that sin is about what we do, uh, that it's about the the wrong things that that we do, people assume that if we can then just do enough good things to outweigh all the bad ones, then we'll be okay. But at its root, sin is a rejection of the authority of the king of the universe. At its root, sin is a rejection of the authority of the king of the universe. It is a heart problem which simply shows itself, manifests itself in the the bad things that we do or the good things that we don't do. And trying to fix this problem, it's so deep-rooted, trying to fix it would be like sellotaping apples from the shop onto a dead apple tree. It might make the dead tree look a bit better, but it won't solve the root problem. Uh, the tree won't be any more alive just because it is, it is some uh, good-looking fruit attached onto it. But wonderfully, there is a way for our sin to be dealt with. It's not by trying to do more good things. Uh, 
It's by coming to Jesus. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Not, not he might be saved, but he will be saved. And so, let me ask you directly this morning, are you saved? Are you saved? I've talked before about Carlos Dad's old church, and when he first went there, someone said to him, we don't talk about being saved in this church. And sadly, that is not a unique thing. I'm sure if you asked many church-going people in this town whether they were saved or not, they wouldn't know what to say. They're happy to talk about church in general. They're happy to talk about buildings and ministers, about committees that they're involved in. But try asking if they're saved and the conversation might well come to an abrupt halt. And yet, that's the very reason Jesus came to earth. That's the very reason the church exists in the first place, that we might be saved. As he said to Zacchaeus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't come to be a good example, though he was that. He came to save the lost. By nature, we're all lost. But are you saved this morning? I read a verse about six months ago now probably, but it stayed with me ever since. It kept coming back into my head off and on. It's Jeremiah 8 verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Harvest time had been and gone. There had been opportunity to be saved, but they weren't saved. And could that be anyone here this morning? Maybe you've attended this church for a long time. You've had opportunity after opportunity under various different ministers to be saved. You've heard the gospel proclaimed, but are you still not saved? There is a door of opportunity, uh, but none of us knows how long it will be open for. Last Saturday afternoon, I was texting the, the Stranard Football Club chairman. He was unwell, unable to be at the game. Uh, on Tuesday morning, we, we heard the, the, the shocking news that he had passed away uh, suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 52. I said at the evening service last week that none of us knows what a week will bring forth and we've seen that in the events that have unfolded in the week since then. There might not be another opportunity for any of us here to hear the gospel. I've referred as well already to the first anniversary of Betty McGowan's passing. It happened with no warning at all. She made some scones, set them out to cool, sat down in her chair and never got up again. If you're not saved this morning, by God's grace, that can change before you go to your bed tonight. That can change even as you sit here right now. All you need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if, if you're not sure whether you're saved, if you want to be saved, if you hope you're saved but you're not sure, 
there's nothing I'd love more than to talk to you about it because there are misunderstandings about it that we're, we're saved based on what we've done or, or we're saved because, because we feel saved and we didn't used to feel saved and now we, we feel saved so we must be saved. Uh, but but those, those are wrong ways to think about it. So please, if you're not sure, speak to me. Speak to God. Uh, maybe, maybe you're nervous about coming and asking how do I know whether I'm saved or not? But, but don't be. It's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, and it's too important an issue to just hope that you'll be okay with. So the first question this morning. What is Jesus the door to? He's the door to life. Abundant life. And the door to salvation from those sins, the weight of which would otherwise drag you down to hell. But then the second of the two questions we want to think about this morning is, what is the door like? What is the door like? Jesus, he gives us an illustration of a door. He gives us a a picture of a door. Uh, He wants uh, this door to be to be fixed in our minds. Uh, he wants us this week to, to be thinking about the door. So, so let's think about what this door looks like. Maybe you want what lies on the other side of the door, but you wonder how you can get through this door. Or you even wonder if people like you are allowed to go through this door. Maybe you've gone through life and you've had door after door shut in your face and, and you wonder, will this just be the same? That, that maybe even expressing interest in it is dangerous because you'll just be disappointed. So what is this door like? And under this second point, we have four headings that are listed on your handout, four things about this door. And the first is that it is a door that anyone can go through. This is a door that anyone can go through. Is this door just for good people? Is it just for religious people? Is it just for young people? Jesus says in verse 9, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Anyone. There's no small print. There's no asterisk beside the word anyone. Uh, And then a little note down below that says, Anyone who hasn't done anything too bad in their life. It doesn't say anyone who looks like they belong in a church. It doesn't say anyone whose family situation isn't in a complete mess. It doesn't say anyone who hasn't done some really, really bad things that are still impacting their life right now. It says anyone. There's no footnote. There's no asterisk. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The only requirement is faith in Jesus that's what the words by him means through faith in him if anyone enters by me as Ephesians 2 8 puts it for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works gates have handles don't they and this gate has a handle which has a word written on it and that word is faith Not faith in and of itself, but faith in Jesus Christ. And small mustard seed sized faith in Jesus Christ will save, whereas enormous faith in in something else, anything else will let you down. 
There is no other way to the abundant life and salvation that is on offer. Jesus isn't one of many doors. He doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. But he is the door for anyone who has faith in him. This door isn't exclusivist. It's not limited to one type of people. It's not limited to any one nationality or ethnic group or social background. And this door handle of faith, it's not too high even for the youngest to reach up and open. Boys and girls, sometimes there are door handles that you can't reach. You maybe have to try and stand on something to reach it or get someone else to open it for you. But not on this door. Whatever age you are, you can have faith in Jesus Christ. You can ask him to forgive you your sins and put your trust in him. And nor is this door handle too stiff for those who are older. The frailest arm can turn this handle. So the first thing we say about this door is that anyone can go through it. Whatever your background is, whatever age you are, all you need is faith in Jesus. The second thing we see about the door then is it's a door that you must go through alone. It's a door you must go through alone. This door is wide enough that that anyone can go through it, but only one person at a time. You can't go through this door attached on to the faith of your husband or wife or your parents or your grandparents. Their faith can't carry you through. Now, it's important to say that God does delight to work in families. The gospel often flows through family lines, whether it's one member of a family being converted as an adult and then their uh, brother or sister being converted or their mum or dad. Uh, God delights to do that. Or, as is often the case, uh, children of believers uh, come to have faith in the same God that their parents believe in. And yet at the same time, everyone who has the ability to exercise faith must do so. Not that in and of ourselves we even have the ability to do that. But children, I think children dying in infancy, maybe even before they're born, they cannot exercise their own faith. We understand that. But they go through the door, as it were, in their parents arms we could say the same for those who are severely mentally disabled before the rest of us there comes a time when we must stand on our own two feet spiritually as well as physically your parents can't take you through the gate your spouse can't take you through the gate your minister can't take you through the gate I can tell you how to go through it. I can plead with you to go through it. I wish I could bring you through it, but I can't. This is a door that each of us must go through alone. Each of us must personally put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And no one else can do that for us. So what is the door like? It is a door that anyone can go through But it's a door that you must go through alone. And by God's grace on the other side uh, you'll find family members who 
are now not just flesh and blood, but are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Third thing about this door, it's a door with an invitation on it. It's a door with an invitation on it. It is a great joy that as I speak to you this morning, I'm confident that, that many of you have gone through this door already. Some a long, long time ago, others more recently. But for those of you who haven't, my great longing and desire is that you would go through this door while there is still opportunity. Uh, That is my great desire this morning. But let me tell you this morning of someone who has an even greater desire than I do that you would go through this door. And that is Jesus himself. The very reason he describes himself as a door is because he wants you to go through it. He doesn't describe himself as a wall. He, He doesn't say, I am the door, stay out. He doesn't say, I am the door, no entry. He doesn't say, I am the door, but not for folk like you. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pasture. In Paradise Lost, uh, that work of literature, the, the gate of hell has the inscription, Abandon all hope ye who enter here. But this door has an inscription that says, Come, everyone who thirsts. It has the inscription, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. For why will you die, O house of Israel? This door has the inscription, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It has the inscription, The spirit and the bride say, Come. Sometimes you go to someone's house to try and put a leaflet through their door and you'll see a sign trying to deter people. Uh, Maybe you you put your hand on the gate and then you see a sign uh, that says beware of the dog. Or you get to the door and you see a message which says uh, we don't buy or sell at this door. The message is think twice before coming to this door. But how different is the door that we're thinking about today? And so if you're apprehensive this morning about coming up to this door, if you're apprehensive about going through it, look at the inscriptions on the door. The message isn't stay away. The message is come. It's a door with an invitation on it. Fourthly and finally, and which gives a greater sense of urgency to all this, This is a door which won't stay unlocked forever. It's a door which won't stay unlocked forever. One of the things you learn when doing go teams in an area with a lot of flats is that if you want to get the flats done, go there in the morning. Why? Because usually flats will have a service button that you press and you'll get in. But that only works up to a certain time of day, usually noon. And after that, you can press the button all you want, but the door isn't going to open. And in the same way, the gate that we've been talking about today is only going to stay unlocked for a while. 
but a certain time will come when that lock will click shut and once that happens it will never open again those who are still outside the gate at this at that moment will have to stay outside forever as jesus puts it in luke's gospel Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. And that's not talking about now. It's not talking about in this life. Now, everyone who seeks to enter will be able. But there will come a day when many will seek to enter and will not be able. For the first time in their lives, they will begin to knock, but it will be too late. Like those who no doubt scoffed at Noah but then became more and more desperate as the floodwaters began to rise. We can picture them knocking on the door of the ark to try and get in. But it was too late. They'd had, they'd had 120 years. They hadn't, they hadn't done it. They hadn't knocked. They just mocked. This door is still open today, but it won't be open forever. Knock on that door now while you still can. Now while it's still open. Now when it will be opened to you if you come through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted that the door is open today because it's an amazing thing that the door is open. This door was actually locked before. In the moment Adam and Eve sinned, uh, there was no way back to God. The door was locked and it was locked all that day. But then in the evening, God comes to them. He pronounces judgment on them for what they've done. But he also promises to send a deliverer. One who would bruise the head of the serpent at great cost to himself. And from that moment on, the door was unlocked. And anyone with faith in the coming Messiah was able to turn the handle as we are today. The door was locked before, it will be locked again. But now is the day of salvation. And if you have gone through that door already, well, praise God that Jesus went to the cross so that door could be opened. That everyone in the whole history of the world who has ever been saved and who will ever be saved could come through this one door. Whether we go through that door in this life will define us for eternity. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Amen. Well, if there has only been one door for all of human history, we'd expect to read about it in the Old Testament as well. And, and we do in Psalm 118. Uh, we're going to sing these words now. Psalm 118, verses 12 to 15 on page 291. 
verse 12. Now open up to me the gates of righteousness and so I will give thanks unto the Lord as through them I will go. Is there another gate? It's amazing that there is a gate. But all some people want to do is say, well, there can't be only one gate. There must be another gate. What does God say? Verse 13, this is the Lord's own gate. By it the just will enter in. It's another inscription you can write above the door. The Lord's own gate. By it the just will enter in. I'll thank you for you answered me, my saviour you have been. And notice the language of saviour there. We need to be saved how amazing it is that there's a saviour and then verse 15 the last second last line lord save i pray what a terrible thing it would be to sing that line and and not mean it to to sing that line and not really want god to save you not really be asking him to save you but on the other side of the coin if you sing this line prayerfully and mean it repenting of your sins and putting your faith in jesus the door to abundant life will swing open Uh, There's no great religious deed that you must go and do. All you must do is put your faith in Jesus, turn the handle of the door by faith and it will open. Psalm 118, 12 to 15 will stand and sing praise.